Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Tony Sales is known as Britain's greatest fraudster. Over the lifetime of his career, he stole 30 million British pounds. He takes us inside the mind of a fraudster from why he started when he was young to his turning point in jail and now how he helps companies protect themselves with his We Fight Fraud organization. This is super interesting. Keep listening. Thank you so much for being here. And, you know, we just kind of got acquainted just slightly on LinkedIn and I'm thrilled that you took the time to come on and, and talk to us here. So thank you. Um, it's always about, you, you share great messages, so I'm privileged to be here with you. Um, and I think that sharing great messages is what it's all about, because that's how we really impact on what's going on out there. So, yeah. Well, um, so Tony, you are known as Britain's greatest fraudster, and that is quite a title to have achieved. And I know there's a lot that goes into it, so um you want to start at the beginning or do you want to start at the end and work back how do you want to i i have so many questions for you <laughs> well i mean so yes i was branded by the british media as britain's greatest fraud star uh, it's not something i'm at all proud of you know all my talks i always say you know i ended up in a life of crime i was destined to be in it and i i, I kind of people always say to me uh i try and think like a fraud star um and my answer to that is always the same. I always say I'm really sorry to hear that. And people are always like, when I say it, they're kind of like, what do you mean by that? And I say, look, I didn't want my mum to leave me at two days old. I didn't want to go through the sexual abuse that I went through as a child. That stuff causes trauma. Do you think I wanted to be bad or scenarios that happened created someone that became bad? Yeah, yes, I, I totally put my hands up to all the crimes that I committed, but I, you know, now I also know that the stuff that happened to me as a child contributed to the person that I would become. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm all about trying to make people understand that firstly, that, you know, a lot of these people that are committing crimes out there, you know, they're, they're, they're suffering in, in lots of ways, in ways that they don't even realize that they're suffering. You know, it's only when you're really willing to open it up to yourself and it hurts um that you can understand it oh yeah being real with yourself no matter uh, everybody's been through some kind of trauma i actually spent a lot of time as a therapist and i've heard a lot of stories that uh, unfolds and unravels just bit by bit uh into behavior now into where all of a sudden you find yourself as a fraudster or an addict or uh whatever the case may be like not things you'd ever pick but uh opening up and getting real with yourself is one of the hardest things that people can do. It takes a lot of bravery. So um, good for you. Cause I know you, I know you've turned the corner and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But do you think since we're on the topic, do you think that um, did you mostly do what you did to get attention at first or was it survival? Yeah, it's definitely attention. What happened to me was when I was 12, 12 years old, uh, I, so I grew up with my grandmother and that 
create my grandmother was a bit older and of course you know the clothes that she was buying me wasn't the same clothes as the kids that my age were wearing yeah yeah um so i was a bit behind the times like that um and i asked a girl out i actually asked her out and she told me to go away you little tramp oh no yeah and that on top of the other stuff that had happened set off a whole series of emotions where all right okay so it's all about how i look it's all about what you've got it's all about material uh -huh. that sets off that chain of events that then would become you know relentless in in my quest for money and never ever for the money and i always say to people that money really didn't bother me even now i have no regard or respect for money um because loyalty will always be valued at much more uh and a lot harder to to obviously get um so you know yeah i learned a lot a lot of hard lessons through that. okay so how'd you start let's talk about that because i i some of the stuff that i found it said you had um let me get the right number here at one point 250,000 was it pounds under your bed at one point? Like, how'd you, yeah. how'd you get from nothing to that? I mean, I, I would be happy for 250,000 pounds under my bed right, right now. Um, <laughs> hopefully if I got it legal, <laughs> but tell me, how, how do you get there? So it just starts, you know, I start off very simply by going door to door with sponsorship forms. And one week it would be a sponsored run, a sponsored jump, a sponsored bounce, a sponsored whatever it was. That I was able to do to take that person's money. Um, and then I met someone who showed me a world of credit card fraud that I just hadn't even realized was there before. And I've always been a dreamer. I've always liked to dream big and think about big dreams. And, and if the opportunity was there in the beginning, certainly at that age, I definitely didn't see anything that I was doing was wrong. I just thought it was just free money and there was a way and opportunity to do it. And I upscaled it massively to having, you know, over 300 people working throughout restaurants in the UK by the time I was, you know, 17 and a half, um, all giving me back on average around 400 credit card numbers that they'd all obtained by cloning the credit cards with the small grabbers that you used to get back then. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we would reprogram the track to information. I mean, I know you guys have only just recently switched over to chip and pin mm -hmm. um, but here in the uk i would have been one of the the, the reasons that the uk switched over very early because uh, we we was kind of you know obtaining a lot of numbers and, and and hitting a lot of different retail outlets throughout everywhere okay so uh i got some questions a bit that about that because of all the um fraudsters i've talked to they're all people uh, relate like, like they're not introverts and and so it takes quite a bit of charisma to scale on that level tell me how did that get started <clears throat> well I, so when the girl tells me to go away uh-huh i create a persona and i become chameleon like you know i've actually just spoke about it with a criminologist about it all. um and, and i'm able to adapt in very in every situation and of course you're right charm is a massive thing but i, I am quite i've always been quite a shy person the real me is quite shy oh. um and i don't like to i can be quite antisocial at times i don't want to always talk to people but the person now that I, I i put on stage is obviously the comfort person who takes over from tony that's at home mm -hmm. um it's a really weird adaption but i think 
it's just like you learn it as you're going through. You learn like exactly like body language becomes a massive part of stuff because you start looking for how someone's reacting to what you're saying. So mm-hmm. if you learn to read all the little small, minute stuff that's happening, you can then manipulate that as you're going through to what you want that to fit to. And oh, that yeah. that becomes a really good skill. And I'm, I'm doing that at 16, 17, 18, and learning and understanding it. There's a really good uh, part in Catch Me If You Can, yeah? And it, yeah. it's never spoke about much, but Frank Abagnale in the film, he actually walks along. So Leonardo DiCaprio walks along the tellers to look at the bank tellers because criminals have an amazing sense of looking at a person and being able to tell if they can pull the wool over their eyes because that's the sixth sense that they have that they've learned that they rely on that he would have learned from his mum being with the, the the guy behind the dad's back all of that stuff contributes to all of them things you know oh yeah um, what makes you good at people? social engineering you got to be social first right so um Wow. Okay. So, so then you want to put out socially, you know, who do you want to be socially? I'll say that now. Social media is to be social when I want to be social. You know? What do you right. know about me from social media? Nothing. So. Right. Well, social media is all a highlight reel, right? <laughs> so, so then, okay. So you had all these credit cards. Yeah. Or credit card numbers that you got. Like what, what do you do with them? How, how are you, turning that into cash are you selling them or are you using them yourself for i mean because this was a while ago for gift cards like well how does it all come together yeah so so what we would do so uh, some numbers yes i would sell back to the guy who actually sold me the grabber because at that time he wouldn't tell us what the computer was or the software that it could use and we would just give him back the bits and he would just load them onto uh back then we had what was called argos premier points card so the track to information the magnetic strip on the back, yeah? Mm-hmm. That would be all those cards we would have printed on just Argos cards or they just look like, you know, Green Shield stamp cards or whatever they were. And we would have lots of people internally that worked in store on, on shop floors and all different types of places. Yeah. Lots of people involved in it, lots of bars and restaurants in the West End would allow us to come in and swipe for one, two thousand pounds at a time. And of course, we would say 50-50. So if I came into your store, I give you a card, you swipe it for two grand, you give me a thousand back, you keep a thousand, everyone's a winner. It's cost no one nothing, right? Right. So you start doing that a few times, it now mounts up. Then there's only so many you can do because the credit card companies become smart. You know, they learn about when clone when cards are cloned, that if two cards get used in one place, yeah, shut all send all those other cards to authorization back then. They're they're learning. So the criminal, we're learning as well. So we're understanding what they're doing and kind of counteracting all of that stuff and being much broader in how you do it. So then I find, I get introduced to a guy who who actually sells me city card blanks. So all these are, they had all hologram, they would go underneath, you know, they had the eagles, Scott the eagle, the visa eagle. and they were absolutely perfect blanks. And, and I bought a punching machine myself, a hand puncher. Uh, got all the tinfoil and learned how to manipulate plastic and made our own cards. And so then once I figured that out, now all those numbers become ones that I can go in everywhere and use. Uh, I don't need to have internal members of staff. It's much more upscalable 
And of course, I can bring much more many people into the team to go out and, and actually start to uh, create fruits. Um, wow. So what did you end up um, buying? Like, how did the money actually come in? Because we got, you had, uh, you, you'd run them at restaurants, give them 50-50. How else did you bring money in? So, so, so I would buy, so I had, my phone would ring nonstop, but like my house phone, yeah? Um, for people with orders. So you would have, you know, over here, we had something called radio rentals. People would want video recorders and they would want the latest TVs, the latest hi-fis, the latest clothes, the latest, you know, everything that people wanted, you would just go and buy shopping, you know, that the, everyone wants a bargain. Everyone where I come from is looking for a bargain. You know, I come from a working class area where, you know, that's kind of accepted that there's a bit of hooky gear and that's how it's going to be. Uh -huh. And I just tapped right into that market very early on. Um, and just achieve, you know, that would last for, for many years going forward. My phone used to, when it got into a mobile, you know, people used to say, you're a drug dealer. Your phone doesn't stop ringing like, a, like it used to constantly. People would want, you know, furnished, Swedish furnishing stores. Yeah, stuff. Ikea. Yeah. Wherever it was, people always want stuff at a knockdown price and the markets all worked out. So what were you doing, like 20% discounts on TVs and furniture, or was it more or no, less? No, I used to do 50-50, so I would do always half price. So whatever I got would be half price. So, you know, I'd get Rolex watches. I would get, you know, I, I, I might get a, a Land Rover Discovery that's worth £25,000 that's going out to someone in Sri Lanka. Uh -huh. um, there could be, there would be loads of different stuff. And then, of course, we found store cards and interest-free credit. Um, and that's when it really takes off. You know, that's when, because it's buy now, pay never once that happens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so you went everything from TVs to Land Rovers. What's the craziest thing you bought from someone? Did you ever buy like an elephant or something like that? No. Uh, I, bought, I bought an apartment in Spain for you three did. million quid on an American Express card. <laughs> oh my God. Um, that was on a platinum card many years ago and it lasted. I think we got away with that for about six weeks uh, oh. of just having fun just in a three million pound apartment just with champagne and, you know, great big jacuzzis and all that kind of stuff that was in there. I mean, we could, we could actually play football on the balcony for that bit. Oh um, man. And then yeah. what happened after six weeks? Did you get out of there before they found you or... Uh, I remember someone coming and knocking on the door uh, and we had to scoop. But again, we had an internal member of staff that was helping us know everything. So it was, it was kind of really easy to always get away. Money, money always works with people, no matter what background they're from. You know, if you take someone out to a nightclub and you're in the nightclub out there with them and you're the biggest thing in the club that everyone wants to be around, that everyone wants to talk to, that you're just a really nice guy as far as they're concerned, no, they all fall for it, and, and that's exactly what they do. Wow. Okay. So, um, let's see. Tell me about because I know you moved into, or at least you had a, problems with uh, get like getting. Were you almost murdered, or like what was the gang uh, references that I I, I ran across? Um, like and it had to do something with like mortgage lenders and things like that. Is that ringing a bell? Yeah, so, um, you know, I was a fraudster. Before I got involved in really serious organized crime, 
I was just a run-of-the-mill fraud star that was just like most other kids uh, that had been messed up as a kid to end up in crime. Um, and then I was out working. I, obviously, I, I have, I'm quite entrepreneurial. I've always been a bit entrepreneurial and always seen had a good eye for spotting stuff. Um, and we'd been out working uh, in a town out in the suburbs with uh, some guys that I work with. And on the way back, one of the guys got a phone call uh, and he said, uh, like, I remember him, so I'm driving. Uh, and he's, he, my, so my brother's here and he's actually here. And, we're driving he says um i've got a problem so i said oh yeah what's your problem so he says i took a kilo of cocaine off of and he tells me the name of the drug dealer that i took it from uh -huh. um and he said i washed it all up to crack cocaine and i smoked all of it oh a kilo <laughs> that's for americans that's like three pounds that that's yeah. enough to kill you it, well, you'd think so, right? Um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, I didn't even know what to say to him. I was just like, and he said to me, look, can you help me? This guy is going to kill me. And if I don't pay this money to him tonight, he's going to burn out my mum and dad's house, right? So I just said, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. And then, So we're driving back to London. It's actually about a two and a half hour drive back to London from where we were. Uh -huh. um, and we must have been an hour in the journey and then he got another phone call and he come off of that phone call and he was shaking and nearly crying. Um, and it's at that point that I said, okay, I'll, um, I'll ring someone. I rung someone that I know and said, can you help? Um, he asked the name of the person that the money was owed to. Uh, I told him. And I got a call back five minutes later and was told to meet them in a place uh in catford which is like a a real dingy part of southeast london it's notorious for crime now uh, it's where the craze and the richardson gang that are quite famous from the uk had their famous shootout it's always been that sort of place uh -huh. um, i i um i met them with with the guy that had done it and as we as we were sitting outside they pulled up they all had guns they kind of it was really weird, like, because in the UK, it's just not like America. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. Oh. Um, and then we went in and we spoke to them. I, I then took control of the conversation. And I said, look, what if I can find a way to get his money back for you guys? It's going to take me a bit of time, but I'm willing to do it. I've spoken to him about it. And he said he would, he's okay with it. And they gave me three weeks. Okay. To, um, to go and get the money uh, I think I got it in three days and oh. went back to them that obviously really impressed them uh, and then he, the, the main guy offered me some work and said look I really like the way you operate I think you're quite a trustworthy guy <laughs> which I thought was quite funny <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah that's how I got involved in organised crime and you know there was many people that that would happen to you know I've, I've been in situations where I've got a phone call to come and meet. You come down now, yeah, just come come meet me now. And I, I get given an address and I'll get in the room and there's been people tied up. They've been smashed up. Their feet oh. hammers. There's been lots of stuff happened to them and they've stolen drugs or property off of the wrong person. And I would be there to, you know, normally before I come along, those people would end up in, in holes um, 
in the countryside. Oh but, man. So, wow. so yeah. So um, then um tell me about this. Um what did I read about mortgage like mortgage lenders and targeting them as as um uh, yeah. yeah, tell so, me about that. So mortgage fraud, right? It's uh it's a very easy thing to happen because most people buy a house, yeah, at some point. Uh -huh. And so the bank deals with many applications that are all look all above board you know there's yeah. not many you know you, you might I, I don't know about in the u.s if you check with the irs for wage earnings and stuff um, yeah you got to turn in your forms yeah yeah so you know if you get really smart around that there's loads of ways to to make that look on paper that it looks amazing and if you've got enough money as a criminal network you can do loads of them right uh -huh. so with what happens once you get approved for a mortgage is you get a mortgage offer, uh -huh. yeah? Um, and a, a solicitor would then draw down that fund, right? So a solicitor has a, uh, in the UK, they have an indemnity uh, and they're allowed to draw down certain amounts of funds depending on how much uh, the, the, their partnership is within the business. So okay. if I create 10 mortgage offers, that are very easy to do, that I can buy 10 properties, that are, all the properties are valued around £350,000. Sure. Um, and I create those mortgage offers. If I get a dodgy solicitor that's willing to go on the run for a couple of million quid and just retire back to their native country normally, uh -huh. um, you can draw down a lot of funds. And if you're really smart, you can rob Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, and keep paying the indemnity all the way through, keep rolling it round until it's massive, and then go. Yeah, so I figured out a way of uh, of doing that um, in the system. So I also figured a way out of cloning the solicitors as well. So you know, I was able to clone the solicitors and draw the funds down from the bank as the solicitors, uh -huh. um, which which was quite crazy at the time of stuff to do intercepting mortgage offers and changing over the solicitor details to the one the dodgy one that you've got you know i had a guy that worked in a mortgage place at one point who would give me the mortgage offers off the as they'd come in on the fax machine he'd give me them i'd just ring up and change all the details of that person and get the funds drawn down by the solicitor that i want them to draw down on oh um, wow and you know that was all pretty easy stuff it's all social engineering over the phone it's all you don't ever meet anyone I think I went into one solicitors with fake ID once and signed all the paperwork off, but that was the only time I ever done that. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I know, I know you had a change of heart at, mm. at some point cause you're, you're on the good side now, but let's, before we get there, let's talk about what can people learn? Like people listening, what can they learn so that they're not targets in, in, in victims of some of the different, uh, scams that you had rolling is there anything people can do like just to be more vigilant you know like mm -hmm. you know if if i'm drilled on questions more yeah mm -hmm. as a full star i'm probably going to fall down and we've lost when i was younger there would be much smarter people behind the counter than as i got older throughout my criminal career right oh. so we seem to have lost a lot of knowledge from the early days. So for instance, if I if I went into a store and I gave my date of birth as January, the first of January, yeah, nineteen seventy five, for instance, 
you know, what's the counter question for that? Someone has someone going to catch me out if I haven't done my homework, you know, what's my star sign? Oh, that's interesting. Complicated. You know, it's Uh really easy stuff. And we lose the basic stuff of just being able to spin stuff off from the cuff and always taking fraudsters out of the comfort zone. Uh Yeah. Is is always going to win, and and once you pick one hole, then you can start to see them all fall apart underneath. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually do it as part of work now. I do a lot of social engineering stuff, banks, and and all those types of, of businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there'll be many calls where I'm on the call and I just I'm shaking my head to myself, saying I can't believe I just said that. Like they've not even picked up on it. You know, like um, it, it's just how you do things, and you're kind of putting it in there to show people, right? So. We just always, if something seems too good to be true, it normally is. It's the same old rules. You know, we hear them. We hear everyone say the same stuff over and over again, but we just have to take on board what that means. Well, yeah, it's about paying attention. It's about paying attention differently and asking the questions and actually being interested in in your job, for one, and also the person across from you. Because isn't it amazing how... Uh, the people on the front lines are paid so little, yet they have the keys to the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, it's, I made a documentary with Vice called How to Get Away with Stealing, yeah? Uh-huh. Um, and I actually say it in that documentary that you've got people that are on minimum wage in this country making financial decisions against people that they haven't got a clue what the stuff is to look for within that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're seeing it now, you know, we're seeing it across the world now. So most countries now have a critical person policy in place, right? It's yeah. all reliant upon letters, ID, uh, national health services, badges or whatever it is. Uh-huh. But on the front line of those people that are all checking the police, most of police out there haven't got a clue what a fool would talk Oh, wait, say that again. You, you cut out. Most police don't have a clue of of what a fraudulent document looks like. Oh, yeah? right, yeah. Because they, they, they've not been trained in that stuff. It's a specialist subject. So if there are many people out there around the world, which I'm pretty sure there are, all using fraudulent instruments or, or documentation to get themselves around during lockdown, you know, that's a big problem already. Um, and you can see it because the people on the front line just don't know what they're looking at. The people in the supermarkets, that are, that are looking for people that are coming through critical care or healthcare workers that get special times to shop. All of those commodities become valuable, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those, mm-hmm. little, those little papers, yeah, to get us around. And we haven't had a whole lot of that here in the States. But um, my well, husband has will. one. My, well, my husband has one just in case um, because he's, he's considered uh, critical with... Uh, with with his job, he builds satellites. So, um, but it's no different than a grocery store worker, you know. That yeah, and, and the fact that no one doesn't want to go two meters close to anyone is the perfect ruse for any criminal. Because mm-hmm. two meters away, you're going to be able to see how what the quality of the document is that you're being shown. Uh huh. You know, like the onboarding that's happening all around the world right now because everyone's working at home. Uh-huh. is a massive risk, you know, and that, these are the stuff, this is the stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah. So um, what what tips would you have for onboarding in a remote world? 
I think you just got to be really careful. You know, your 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 KYC has to be really really good right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, it's not for many many banks out there. Yeah, that's just a harsh reality. And it, where do we draw the line of onboarding for clients and sales mm-hmm. to getting that malicious attacker? Or the bad actor that then comes on, and uh, and using uses us to money launder the drug money that would have gone through from wherever. You know, all those criminal impacts that continuously happen. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, um, you you had a change of heart. Mm, yeah. Tell us about that. How did how did everything really flip for you? So I mean, I, I was in prison, and. Uh, so I, I was on the run, you know, I was uh, a fugitive here in the UK for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I'd been caught, I, I never told my wife that she was on the run or my family that they were on the run either. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And once I'd been caught and she finally come to see me after three months um, of not talking to me, um, she came and she was holding my, my son's hand, who's now 19, and he was crying, he's a baby. And, and I realized at that point that, wow, look, all the stuff that had happened to me, I'd now pushed onto him, and now he's suffering trauma. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that, that feeling of, of making that happen for my child. Uh-huh. Um, and that was it. I kind of went back to the wing from then. And I knew that I was never going to ever going to commit a crime. I couldn't let him down. I, I, I didn't want to let my kids down ever again after that. Um, and yeah, that, that was it. That was the change. So I, I, I mean, it didn't go down too well when I actually got back to the wing and said, that, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to try and help the fight against fraud. Everyone in the prison kind of looked at me really funnily when I said that. Yeah, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but once I got out, uh, you know, I tried a, a, a few little, a few little tricks to try and to, to get in front of someone. Someone got me an interview. A good friend of mine got me an interview at the Home Office here in the UK with the UK's head of fraud at the time. Okay. Um, and and arrogantly, I made a fake passport. Got in, beat all the systems, the security systems within there. Um, got to the head of the fraud for the government and showed him the passport and showed him where his system was flawed. Oh. Which point kind of decided to say that they didn't really want to speak to me anymore. And, and you know, he knew that, that this problem could exist and they were more interested in what they called gads uh, and kind of dismissed me away a little bit. Um, and so I'd had a media agency digging around on me for a little while called Vice. They'd offered me a documentary. Did I want to make a documentary? So I agreed. Um, and then, you know, everything just snowballed from there, really. I, I, I kind of had a part, I was saying different stuff to lots of different people. You know, I, I said that data was the new cash in 2012, um, because it obviously was. I, I'd done so much bad, I really wanted to pay some stuff back um, and just give a really different insight. Uh, and, and that's what I do today, you know, that, that's kind of, I might be a bit rough around the edges, but most of the stuff that I say is most banks or financial institutions or governments now would agree with the things I say because they understand that I'm totally looking at it from a different perspective. Now, 
um, what, what perspective do you think, like, like if you could lend people just a, a clue of perspective of how to look at their business or how to look at their internal systems, like a fraudster, what would, what would you say? I mean, I'll say what I say all the time. It's just impossible. Unless you've been through that life, you just can't look at it in that way, no matter what you think, because you're mm -hmm. only thinking about morals and it's not that. Yeah. Okay. Most criminals have been through things in their life that makes them see things in a very different way. You and I will walk past the building and you'll see the security guard at the door. I'll see the window open on the third floor. Oh, yeah? interesting. Okay. It's just a very, very different way of looking at stuff. And, and that's what we do for people. And once you've had your eyes open to it, then obviously it's a very different thing. I, I, I sit down with very clever and successful people all the time. And, you know, I, I, I show them how I could take them for millions in, in just moments. And, you know, they're staggered by that because they just can't think like that. The lost guys, the lost prevention guys. I'll I, I tell you a story. I've got, I got a job once for a, a very well-known uh, DIY store, yeah? Uh -huh. And they had a massive problem with shower units being stolen by a Romanian gang, right? Huh, um, okay. And they couldn't figure out how it was being done, right? And it, all it was, it was because the back of the cabinet weren't secure and they were secured with MDF, yeah? And all the gang had figured out was that it was held together by two little uh, cable ties that they just popped and pulled back and just took out as many showers as they, as they wanted. Just flattened now, them and took them out. Exactly right. And that, that's just a criminal insight, you know, that took me, I, I mean, that probably took me two days of looking at the store to figure out how they were doing it. Uh -huh. um, and because of that, so the cameras in those stores were focused on the actual aisle where the, the showers were in, uh -huh. not the aisle behind it whether you could actually get into the back of the cabinet. So it was a real oh, wow. criminal scenario. You know? if I, so I spotted it just looking at it and thinking, wow, look, you can see what you're looking for there. And that, that's what the difference is. You know? that, that's, Got that's it. Okay. So you have some ways that people can start to really dive into uh, the criminal mindset and, and really helping people. Because now you have an organization, We Fight Fraud. Tell us all yeah. about that. Yeah, so we fight fraud is exactly what it says on the tin. You know, we I don't like that there's fraudsters out there going after old, weak, and vulnerable people. Firstly, you know, I'm not. I, I come from a my nan grew me up. I would never allow that to happen to old people. I love them more than that. I'm just it's just part of me like that. Uh -huh. um, so I feel it's very important to kind of teach and keep people safe in that environment because that environment is really good for them especially in times like now you know we want more older people to go on the net and using it without the fear of you know being conned or scammed because that's all they ever hear of it mm -hmm. um and there's so many you know, you know these crimes impact i've seen i've seen victims lose their life savings now like you know, that stuff really impacts down on the family because the family doesn't get inheritance anymore. And now that stuff that may have helped them just achieve something doesn't mm -hmm. because they, they're not there and it's all gone. It never got paid back. The banks didn't pay it back then. Um, and that's what We Fight Fraud's all about is trying to help those people and mm -hmm. make them understand, you know. And we were able to talk to the consumer and businesses. We have a saying, right, that computers don't commit crime people do 
Oh, yeah. And only people can prevent it, right? There's not a computer on the planet serving a prison sentence anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's not. So, so that means that it's humans. And, and so if we understand that people will call us, they will try to socially engineer us to steal our money. If banks understand that, you know, people will go to the lengths of, to, to do SIM swap, for instance, mm -hmm. to change someone's phone number to steal their money, you know, we, we need to get a lot more joined up across industry. So everyone is talking to everyone. Data Protection Acts around the world restrict so many industries from talking to each other. Yeah, it doesn't help when it actually comes to the fraud epidemic that is across the world, and especially now, you know? Oh, that's true. Mm. That, I hear that all the time. The, mm. the fraudsters, they're networked. <laughs> and, the, yeah. and the good guys can't be because of laws. And until they can, it, they're going to still have these problems. I remember reading the Data Protection Act for the first time, yeah, and saying, hold on a minute, these guys can't share the information. So GE Capital can't talk to Santander Finance. Santander Finance can't talk to Northern Rock. Northern Rock can't talk to Clydesdale because they're all separate companies and all owned by, they're all subprime companies or finance companies of bigger institutions anyway. Mm -hmm. But as long as you know which ones are separate, None of them can talk to each other and it gives the criminal a great big advantage that they can just go through and do whatever they want. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. are, are you working with legislation to stop that or is that on your radar? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, I always get asked by, you know, the likes of uh, Opbass or FCA here in the UK or lots of different police agencies all over the place. I, I always say stuff to them, you know, like, the FCA here in the UK have actually just done something that I'm quite astonished about. They actually said in, in this time it's actually okay to, to give a selfie um, to confirm ID, which that's something I totally don't agree with. Um, oh. You know, I know how easy it is to spoof metadata in the back of, a, of an image and to create an image that I want. And, you know, when onboarding is in such a serious state at the moment, stuff like that, mm -hmm. decisions being made sometimes need to be made smarter and not, we're living in fear and panic right now. It's the course's greatest tools. You know? they, they, they spend months and weeks trying to get people in fear and panic. Mm -hmm. They're already in it now globally, so they're already miles ahead of the curve. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us about your conference that you have, because it was going to be in person, and now you've gone virtual with it. So it's, talk, talk about that. Yeah, so it's a virtual conference. So it's like a conference as well. It's not like all the other webinar stuff that's going on there where you've just got like, one screen popping up. We've actually got a reception. We've actually got a, a networking area. Oh, wow. We've got booths where, you know, people can come and come and visit the people that are in the booths. There's video presentations in the booth. There's also live people in there. Um, we've got a bit of a cocktail party going on after. And it's just for, you know, so we have the police commander of uh, Action Fraud here in the UK, Karen Baxter, uh -huh. giving her keynote. Uh, speech and then uh, myself Andy McDonald who's my business partner and Solomon Gilbert who's my business partner uh, Solomon's an ex-hacker uh -huh. um, he helps lots of uh, police institutions all around the world uh, fight hacking and all those types of crimes because he's amazing at it and he's the ex-head of fraud for the um, for the Metropolitan Police here in the UK Okay, um, so has a real good understanding of that stuff and 
and obviously myself showing businesses and consumers how to keep themselves safe. So we've been kind of showing things in a very different way from pinging a building from sitting outside, checking the Wi-Fi. Can we look for what systems are being used? Yes, Cisco. What are the vulnerabilities within those systems from outside a building? Just showing people different stuff. So if people would like to see more, please go and register. Um, Wefightfraud.org forward slash live, uh, 28th of the 4th, 2020 at 2 p.m. Got it. So that's coming up here into the end of the month. Like it's what? Ten days, yeah. yeah. It's like ten days, yeah. So wow. very exciting. Sponsored by TransUnion and Amaze Bank uh, and a lot of other guys. Um, so thank you very much to those guys for because the knowledge that we're going to be able to share, there's no there's no one else out there in our industry that's able to share that platform so quickly with everyone as that influential. So there's some really good stuff there on that day. So yeah. we also have uh, we also have a mafia princess speaking on that day, uh, Marissa Marico, uh, whose father was uh, uh, Italian mafia boss in the oh, 90s, uh, mm-hmm. and she was arrested for money laundering. We have um, we have a guy. Uh, uh, we have Anne, uh, who's a PR expert, and then we have Rob McCasey, who's uh, he's the head of fraud for Richmond uh, or he's yeah he's the lost guy at Richmond he was uh, lost director for Nike for a while Rob's a, a good friend of mine and a great speaker so there's something for everyone across industry there um, so yeah you're well, welcome cool and, and the website for that is we fight fraud is it dot com dot org we fight fraud dot org forward slash live Got it. Okay. Okay, cool. And then you, you speak a lot as well. So how yeah. can people, can they find you there at We Fight Fraud? Like if, if they want you in for yeah, their conference? Go to we Fight Fraud. Yeah, go to WeFightFraud.org. The conference is there. I, I, I actually do all my speaking events through London Speaker Bureau. Okay. They'll also be at the event. So they've got a booth at the event. So if anyone would like all different types of speakers, you can go there and visit those guys as well. That'd be great. So wonderful. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for taking a little time to to chat with us. Your event sounds awesome, and your story is just fascinating. Um, and I love that you're on the good side now. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And I love your post. I love your. I love all the stuff you do. I think it's really good. You keep doing it. It's amazing. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.